Um, good morning, y'all. Um, okay, so real quick, before we get started, I cannot help but do this. I'm totally going to do a shameless plug in that I love that um, there is, we are practicing a safe place practice, which is so good. Um, that is part of um, soul care ministry. And so that is, if you're curious to explore more about that, um, please contact me because that's what I do um, to explore your journey further in that um, with safe place. So um, love that we're doing that. And if y'all have want any more support or assistance with that, or if y'all want to explore more of that, please contact me. I'd be happy to journey with you in that. So, okay, there's that, there's that shameless. I couldn't, I couldn't help it, y'all. I couldn't help it. I couldn't leave it. So there it is. Um, but today I'm going to talk about, um, the, the darkness as it relates to John chapter three. So the gospel, oh, wait, let me get my timer because, so I don't go off on rabbit trails because I do do that. Um, the gospel of John is one of, is my favorite gospel. Um, it's, I mean, the obvious is that John includes women in the ministry and interactions with Jesus. Duh. Like that's a given of why it's my favorite. But I also love the gospel of John because I feel really close to the author. I feel like this person is someone I would totally be one of those nerdy literary buddies with that we would sit around, talk about writings, talk about imagery, talk about metaphors all the time. And so for me, someone who likes to write, this is my dream gospel and that's my bias. But so the book of John, it's filled with an assortment of conversations and confessions, which is a lot about the season of Lent, right? Confessions. And in this book, it's both equal men and women who are having these conversations and or confessions. So the author uses this, uses this literary form to show the readers the concept of discipleship within and within each conversation and or confession, we see individuals draw nearer or further from the gospel's concept of a believer disciple. The author, the author of this gospel reveals this discipleship concept through the interactions of people and through those we, and through those we begin to gather the author's criteria of what is a believer disciple. And so today in chapter three, it's going to explore a lot of that. He's going to reveal, the author is going to reveal their definition of a believer disciple as it relates to light and dark, good and evil. One of the first two conversations that shows up in John is one such conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the of the Jews. And as we sit and watch this conversation unfold, we're going to begin to see the ways in which the light begins to parallel the darkness and out of that tension, there's going to become, there's going to come a profound example the author paints of true faith and discipleship. So I'm going to break down this whole chapter to see the full picture of light versus dark um, in, a, in two ways. We're going to talk about the darkness. We're going to talk about Jesus, the illuminator. And then we're going to talk about the profile of a true, a true um, believer disciple. And so the first part of this, of this chapter, um, Nicodemus, he comes into the scene and he comes in at at night to see Jesus. And he says, he says, Jesus, like, I, I know with all the miracles you've done, you must be from God. So, so Nicodemus is essentially, he's confessing a, a seeker's faith, but he's not confessing that Jesus is the son of God. Nicodemus's conversation, by the way, y'all, is the only conversation in the Gospel of John in which someone never confesses their belief in Jesus at the end of the conversation. But what Nicodemus does do is he acknowledges that he comes from God. But that's kind of where it stops short with Nicodemus. 
And so Jesus then goes into this thing. He says, thanks, Nicodemus, for those, for the miracles that you've acknowledged and from God and all that. Thank you very much for that. But like Jesus is like, this isn't acceptable. It's not about the miracles. It's about being born again, being born from above. And Jesus goes into this, this great imagery that is seen throughout this gospel of, of the birthing, birthing imagery. Jesus really tells Nicodemus, he says, look, Nicodemus, it's about, it's, it, you've got to see, to see the kingdom of God, you must be born by water and by spirit. So what Jesus is trying to give Nicodemus in this, in this, in, during the night when Nicodemus comes to him, he's trying to tell Nicodemus, Nicodemus, there's more to me than the tangible miracles that you see and that other t- others tell you about. And in order for people to see me, you must see me through a spiritual lens and then people will understand and follow me. So it takes a birthing, a spiritual birth is what Jesus is saying. And so Nicodemus, he goes through this thing. He's like, well, I don't get it. Like, doesn't an older man have to like be born for again? And I don't get how a man can be born in the womb again. So he misses the point pretty big. And he misses the point that Jesus is trying to portray that being born into the kingdom, you've got to have a spiritual outlook on life. And here's, and here's how we kind of know this where Nicodemus, he never really makes that commitment. And he, he pops up again in John seven and in John 20. And he never takes the next step to know, to, to, to confess that Jesus is Christ or to further Jesus's mission. He just kind of stands on the fence the whole time. So just, you know, the, just as quickly as the night comes and goes, Nicodemus just kind of floats out of the story, um, without, without any more commitment. So as we kind of explore that first part of night in darkness, and especially, and especially that birthing process, um, for those who have experienced, here's the question that I, I'm, per, I'm going to give y'all for those who have experienced the, the giving birth process, who, who've done that, what parallels do you see between the human experience of the birthing process and a spiritual birth? I mean, any ladies, because that's the only way we're going to get this conversation started. <laughs> I'm not by my thing. I'll talk. Okay. <laughs> Can't type. Um, So obviously I don't remember myself being in the womb, but I can imagine that that infant in the womb experience can't imagine anything else other than that current experience. And yet what they will experience after that is so beyond their imagination like how could they fathom what what kind of world they're actually going to come into that that's not all there is and so I think about um uh you know we have this very limited concept of you know what what the kingdom of God is like um and you know, that we, we have such a, a narrow experience, um, of, of what could possibly be like, we can't even imagine it. Um, Sarah, 
Walker, maybe? Yeah. Um, uh, first thing, I read this. This was, I guess this passage was part of Sean's Bible reading or something for school. And so he read the whole thing and he sounded really engaged. You know, he was like hitting all the punctuation and everything, which is part of what we were practicing. And at the end, I was like, so what do you think about that? And he goes, oh, Jesus talks so much. I don't know why Nicodemus was sitting there listening to him. I think Nicodemus was probably like, man, can I just say something, please? I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so special. Uh, I, For me, like birth is so complicated. There's so many different things. I know um, did you, did you ever watch Mad Men where Betty Draper gives birth and they just take her into the hospital and they completely put her out and she has no idea what's happening and it's just all kind of happening to her. And I think that was before I had kids. That was the thing that I, that was in my imagination. That's what birth was like. It was just something that happened to you and you tried to get through it as fast as possible. But the actual experience of it is like, there's so much participation that comes from the person giving birth and there's so much like, it just is a very active process. And I think when I look at that, what Nicodemus is saying, what Jesus is saying, I, I used to think that somehow, you know, oh, you have to be born again. It's something you have to do, but it's very much something that God has to do to us and for us uh, and we get to go along for the, for the ride. Yeah. So that's what that says to me now, I guess, after having kids, but yeah, essentially it's like God giving birth to us. Yeah. That. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Daryl and then yeah, Daryl. Okay. Yeah. I can't really talk from one perspective, but we all recognize that, right? Except I was present. Um, yes. And, and sure. I, I did get to observe and be with there when my oldest was born. In fact, I was the first to hold Brit. Uh, Terry was way too out of it at that moment. She was so exhausted, worn out. Um, and so they gave Brit to me to hold. And she stuck her finger in my face. What can I say? Um, but Alyssa was born C-section. It was very arduous. It was very difficult. Um, I'm not going to go into the detail, but Terry and Terry and presumably Alyssa, because they had to scrape uh, skin from her head while in in the womb. Um, you know, they immediately after they found out that there was low platelet count and all that, they had to take her out. And in 20 minutes, that process was over. And Alyssa was weighing four pounds. And, um, you know, they kept asking, is this a little girl or is it a little boy? Do you know? No, I don't know. Well, little girls develop their lungs quicker. Uh, so that's what they were asking. Are we going to have to put her on, 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 you know, life support when she comes out in the neonatal unit? And that occurs to me as we discuss this, this is something I don't think reading John really, and, and I, I don't know that it's Jesus' point even, uh, in reading John 3. But something that occurs to me that this is not a simple process and it, it can be a violent process and it can even be a very dangerous mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at that, I'm thinking, you know, this isn't, this isn't a simple little thing that 
you do it and everything's fine. No, it's, it's filled with all kinds of uh, seriousness, all kinds of danger even. Um, yeah. And that may be stretching the metaphor way too far, but it's just what hit me. No, I mean, I think that that's every, people's different experiences with this idea of the birth images, which pops up throughout the whole gospel. And so I was reading a women's commentary that said spiritual vitality is is diverged from God and not developed by human initiatives. So kind of like what Sarah was saying is this isn't something we do on our own. We've got to have help. And so. So a lot of that is Jesus Jesus is trying to talk with Nicodemus because Nicodemus is in the dark, both physically and metaphorically. Right. And so Jesus is trying to get get Nicodemus to come to the light to see like, hey, here's here's the hope to confess to confess that I am the Christ. But he doesn't do it. And so Jesus, in this case, has to be the light. He's got to be the illuminator. Right. As whereas those other interactions that, jo- that John shows between men and women at the end of the time, the, hu- the, the human being who talks to Jesus says, yes, you are the Christ, I believe. But there's not that hope in this chapter. But this is what happens in the second half of John chapter three, what the author does Um since Nicodemus doesn't give that confession, the author writes some of the most famous verses of all time, which essentially is the spiritual lens, the why God does what he does to bring Jesus into the world and for us as the readers. So Jesus, this, this John 3, 16 and following is, is the light, is the hope in this, is the confession essentially that Nicodemus doesn't have. And so before Jesus says that, the author refers to that that um, Numbers twenty one passage, which a lot of the audience would have recognized because they were it's this it's really set for believers, Jewish people, so they would have known the Torah, so they would have known this this snake plague Moses thing pretty well, right? And so, he, so the author he picks up that reference in order to then before introduce John three sixteen and following. And so, what the story is basically helping the audience remember is the Israelites they they separated themselves from God. But God found a way to save them because of God's love for the Israelites. Israel was saved by the plague of serpents when they gazed on uh, the gold snake of Jesus. And so as the Israelites were saved by lifting their eyes to the snake, so Jesus says, all people will be saved from death or separation from God when they look with the spiritual eyes on me who was lifted up in death by crucifixion. And so then that's where then Jesus talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the verses that we all know. And this is what gives light, the confession in this piece. So this is part of it. You know, it's God loves creation. This is what the author is breaking, how breaking this down is. God loves creation. To love is to give. To love much is to give much, which Jesus loves his son so much, Jesus, that his most precious thing that he gave that. Jesus is fully aware that he would die for God's sacrifice, and he knew that he was God's son. And so at the end of these verses, it says, if somebody chooses the destiny of relying on yourself and not trusting God, it's going to be a life of darkness and destruction. But the one who chooses their destiny to choose to trust in God, it's an everlasting life in this life and in the next life. It's a new birth. It's a new hope. And so what Jesus is trying to tell us and Nicodemus is that trusting in God is more than intellect. It's more than miracles. It's more than context. It's more than Torah. It's a commitment. It's trust. It's faith in it's reliance on God as both human to identify with us and also divine to identify with God. Jesus provided the illumination necessary to lead men back to God. 
And these verses reveal the description that the author is trying to tell us of what is true love and what is the call of discipleship. And so with that being said, I'm going to give it back to the room. According to these verses, like the John 3, 16 and following, what is the description of true love and the call of a believer disciple? Can you say the question one more time? Like according to those verses, um, what is the description of true love and the call of a believer disciple? I put my name in the chat, but you're not answering. You're not. Oh, sorry. I was reading the chat. I'm sorry, Sarah Holland. <laughs> no, you're Go good. ahead. <laughs> um, we um, uh, use these verses on Wednesday night for the uh, Lent thing. And um, one of the things that I was struck by in listening to the words was um, specifically thinking about 16 to 21, how uh, active uh, the most, the most proactive person in this is God. How, and, and God's, God is the one, um, who, who has loved the world, who sent his son, who, um, who didn't send his son to condemn and, and, um, uh, and then kind of our call to, um, to notice how God is working and, um, and then, uh, um, to point others. So I, I like the, how verse 21 ends so that, um, but those who do not, who do what is true come to the light so that, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So still God being active in that space and um, uh, that even the things that we are doing, that is that they're done in God. And so just kind of God's active role in, in, in all of these spaces and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good. Charles. Uh, Sarah Holland inspired me. I was on that Wednesday night, uh, prayer call too. And, um, uh, who was leading it? Was Jenna leading it on Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. She read out of the message and, um, the same section that Sarah just read, uh, got my attention. I'm thinking along the lines of, 
um, uh, what does it look like to be to be a believer disciple? Um, what what's the response of a believer disciple? And the language in the message is that anyone working and living in the truth welcomes God light, mm. so that the work can be seen for the God work it is. And I that's kind of what I stayed with in prayer on Wednesday was. What does it look like to welcome the light? Like that, that seems like a, uh, an appropriate posture for letting God do most of the, the work of illumination. Um, how can I welcome the light? Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. How do we, yeah, welcome. I love that. Welcoming the light, um, is true. And so what is happening is like through those John 3 16 and following, um, th- that's what the author is trying to portray. It's like, here is how you illuminate Jesus to others, to the world, right? And so the profile of a believer disciple is there's a contrast in this chapter, right? There's what not to do and what to do. Thanks, author of John. The what not to do is it's a lot of the story of my life of how I've learned to what to do. So yay, author of John. Um, but here's what, here's what could have happened. Here's the, what could have happened. Nicodemus, he is the prime example of being an illuminator for Christ because he could have been a change agent, yet he sat on the sidelines and never acknowledged Christ. And here's why I say that because he was on top of the social ladder of his time, right? He had all things. He, he was a male. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler and a teacher of Israel. So if you think about it, this very man, he could have been the man to be, to choose the, could make that hugest impact to change history, to bring light to who Jesus was, to further Jesus's mission and the kingdom. But he chose, he chose the dark. He chose the sideline. And that was his choice. He lives in darkness because he doesn't want to endanger his status in this, in this current, in the life that he's currently living. He's only thinking this life. So he doesn't confess that Jesus is the Christ. And what the author also shows is through through Nicodemus is he never helps. He's he's not a helpful guy. He doesn't help religiously or physically. So he actually, it's showing how he fails at the author's criteria of not laying down your life for a friend, right? As it says in the John 3.16 section. And so that is what, based upon that, the love of Jesus, the, the criteria for us is what the author's trying to say is how do we bring, how do we welcome the light? How does God use us? How does God work in us? And then how do we, how do we be that believer disciple is this definition of the love of Jesus and the love of one another, the service of begotten love in which we would lay down our lives for our friend and also appointed, we are appointed to further the mission of Jesus to the world. We are the light. We are the hope. We are the new birth, which then helps to step into the purposes of the whole book of the gospel, which is to all who believe in his name gave power to become children of God. And so through that new birth that God can only do and God continues to only can do, we have that new life. We have that new birth. And then in John 20, another purpose of this book is that through believing in the name of Jesus, we may have life in his name. And through the John three sixteen and following is the ways that we ourselves have new light, new light and new hope as well as being able to illuminate those actions to others. So let to, so to wrap up, the last question I have for y'all is what are, um, what might be God revealing to you about John in chapter three? 
Kara, I just want to make sure I understand about John. Mm-hmm. Wait, what was, what was your question? Sorry. I just wanted to make sure I heard you right. Oh, yeah. What are your, yep. What might God be revealing to you about John chapter three for yourself? Kara, there are people who yeah. said that they're, who, who did the chat. Sarah, Sarah and then Daryl. <laughs> Sorry, I don't do well with the chat. Sarah and then Daryl. <laughs> You're fine. Um, yeah, I was, I was thinking a lot about what I was taught as a new Christian, uh, what I thought that I was supposed to do and what that meant. And everything was external. It was like, have a quiet time. And it was like, it wasn't come to God. It was come to church. Like, if you want to come to the light, you need to come to the building where all the people of the light gather and I was just thinking a lot about how I don't know if that served me very well um, because here I am 40 years later, still, you know, or 30 years later, I guess, still learning how to come to God. Mm. Um, I think that's part of what safe space is about and what we're doing, I think, in the, like what we've been doing with contemplative stuff or um those things that, that's not stuff that I learned as a brand new Christian I learned how to come to church I don't know that I learned how to come to God um, mm-hmm. that's good yeah uh Daryl there we go uh yeah I just you know I don't want to it sounds like all I'm thinking of is dark things you know mm-hmm. uh but this passage and this whole this whole discussion, it just keeps coming back to me that while John will call us throughout John and throughout First John and, and his writings to walk in the light, we are still surrounded by darkness. And the dark we, we actually have you know, Sarah, it's kind of like, you know, when, when I was you know, it became Christian. It was, it was like, you know, oh, you become a Christ follower and everything goes all right. You know, that you're walking out of this into this wonderful experience and all that. Yeah, right. Uh, no, it, it's not that. And I, I think that the recognition that there is a ongoing conflict, mm-hmm. the recognition that you're walking into a dark world that, as I mentioned with the childbirth can be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, can be very frightening uh, that following Christ may actually call you to lay down your life. Well, it does call you to lay down your life uh, every day, but it might actually call you to physically even lay down your life or to put yourself in dangerous positions where you just don't know. And I guess the more difficult aspect is this daily laying down the life for people who may not even love you and still caring for uh, a world. And and it's easy to speak of that in a global term, but what about my city next door neighbor who I really don't even like? Or what about the person that treats me like a dog and I really, really come to the point of almost hating 
an individual like that. You know, it's easy to speak of love and forgiveness when I'm talking about you need to love and forgive me rather than me having someone that I need to love and forgive or to treat in a certain way. So there is a darkness that we walk into and John is telling us it's, there is a real contrast and there is a real conflict. Mm -hmm. And that's part of part and parcel of the following of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's just the nature and the tension of light and dark, right? With light, there will always be dark and with dark, there will always be light. That's always, that's always going to be a thing. And so how do we, how do we live among it? Right. And, um, and continue to encourage one another. I think that, you know, how do we continue to encourage each other to, to still be light, still to be the light, the welcome and welcoming the light and well, have others welcome the light, um, as we do our daily life. So may you walk in the power of God's name. So you may have life, the energizing kind blessings. Thanks for listening. Y'all. Kara, you need to do mission prayers. Yes. Is it on the anybody have any prayers? Charles. Um, so uh, we're in this global pandemic and people are getting vaccines and, you know, physical boosts of hope in their arm. I love that imagery, Sarah Holland, from your communion thought. Um, uh, and... I, all of my, all of my, well, one of the conversations happening among some of my church colleagues is this, this temptation to, um, I guess to want to return to normal as it was pre COVID and to ignore the fact that we've been through a pandemic and what does that mean for church and church life and, um, I, this is me coming as Charles and not in any f- official capacity, but I just feel the deep need for the wisdom and leadership of the Holy Spirit for us to know as a community how to, how to walk out in mission and community on, on this in it, not, not this side of the pandemic, but in this, in this segment. Mm-hmm. of the pandemic that, that we're in. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just need, I need help. I need wisdom and inspiration. And I, I want to invite the community to call upon God with us to ask for that. Uh, Daryl. Yeah. I just want to keep us in remembrance of those as Charles brought out of those who have been suffering uh, and still are suffering in this, of uh, those who have gotten this at the very beginning and are still experiencing symptomatic 
uh, you know, fatigue and, and problems like that. In the same vein, uh, I, I wanted to also reach out and, and offer and, and request we still offer prayers. Marina, I see is here for her parents, Victor and Tanya, um, and her in-laws, uh, which I don't know at this point. Marina, do you, uh, how are your parents at this point? Thank you, guys. Sorry for not switching on my um, camera. There are some reasons for that. My parents are doing pretty well. I, I would say much better. But we are still praying because a lot of sy- symptoms, a lot of consequence occurred. And we are still fighting for the for the good. So thank you for your prayers, and we do hope that we're going to make it. We're going to be better very soon. All right. Let me, let's pray and about, about these things, and we'll move forward. Lord, We just ask you to guide us in wisdom of how and what it looks like to be people who are, who are of light to go out into our communities, our sphere of influences, um, among and after all of the pandemic that's been around us and how it's affected each of us differently. Please give us the direction, speak clearly to us, Spirit. Bless our souls in how we may do that. And we just, we remember those who are suffering, who are still suffering, um, those who have lost loved ones. Um, we remember them in this moment. Give us the wisdom to walk alongside those who are experiencing the pandemic firsthand. And we just pray specifically for Marina's parents and her in-laws for healing, for breath, for your power to just overcome and enwrap and embrace her family. We pray all this in Jesus' name who has authority. Amen. Amen.